Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis and host of NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday, Lulu Garcia Navarro. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Coming to you from my hometown of San Antonio, Texas this week. Uh, hanging with my friends at Texas Public Radio and KSTX. My guests, though, are in D.C. Lulu Garcia Navarro, host of NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday. And Susan Davis, congressional correspondent for NPR News. You both are really busy, so I'm glad you're here. I really appreciate you. Sam, I love this melody. Oh, yeah. Right? This is good music. This puts me in the mood. <laughs> I am playing this song uh, because... There was a big development in space news this week, and this song is part of it. This song is called I'll Be Seeing You by Billie Holiday. Let's just hit it for a second. It's so beautiful. So I'm playing this because this song was the last song NASA sent out to communicate with its Opportunity Mars rover. But the rover had an amazing life because the rover was only supposed to live for 90 days and the rover lived for over 14 years. Exactly. So this rover, NASA's Opportunity Mars rover, as you said, Sue, it was made to last three months. It roamed for more than 14 years on Mars. It discovered, along with the Spirit rover, evidence that water has flowed on Mars' surface. Um, It traveled about 28 miles around Mars. It worked longer than any other lander. Um, And so a dust storm took it out last summer, but NASA tried to send commands to recover it, like over a thousand commands. But this week they said, it's time. And this was the final song that was sent out to the rover. And also, it had some great last words. Really? It said, my battery is low and it's getting dark. I mean, how kind of like poignant is that? Where is the screenplay for this rover? Like Pixar make this movie. (laughs) Right. I hope the rover finds the other rovers that are out there and they go to rover heaven together and can play Billie Holiday like all day. All rovers go to heaven, Sam. (laughs) Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But I'll be seeing you. Okay. We're going to start the show as we always do. We're going to ask each of you to describe your week of news in only three words. Sue, going to have you start. Uh, and you've been covering the big D.C. drama this week. President Trump finally signed a spending bill to avoid another government shutdown. There was some money for border security in that bill. But President Trump also declared a national emergency at the same time he signed that bill. He says this will help him get more money for a border wall. So with that as your backdrop, Sue, uh, what are your three words? So my three words to sum up the week are finish the wall. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a very familiar phrase to most people, better known as build the wall, which had become sort of the signature campaign rallying cry of President Trump. And earlier in the week at a rally in El Paso, the president had a rhetorical shift and there were banners in the campaign rally. And instead of build the wall, the rallies now say finish the wall, which I think is fascinating on so many levels because the border story has played out so intensely this week and is culminating with the president declaring a national emergency, but also politically because the wall fight's always been about politics, right? Mm -hmm. The wall has always been the physical representation of the Donald Trump presidency. And As a matter of fact check, we should make clear that really no wall has gone up 
No. Mm. Under President Trump's administration, there is hundreds of miles of existing wall along the U.S. border. Mm -hmm. His administration has not really extended the length of that wall. So one, to automatically shift to finish the wall, I think, is a misrepresentation, right? It's just about messaging, but also shows you that so much of this is going to be about political messaging. And if the president can convince his supporters that he has, in fact, finished the wall, even if he hasn't, that is a pretty potent political weapon he will try to use again in 2020. Is this a situation where once the first photos of some kind of fencing or wall are built, he's satisfied? Well, we got to back it up there, Sam. So Mm. he is invoking a law that allows presidents and gives them pretty broad authority to marshal federal resources when a state of emergency is declared. Mm -hmm. Normally, when a president declares a state of emergency, there is no dispute about it. If you think about when it's been done recently in the past. After like disasters. Yes. After 9-11, after Hurricane Katrina, when the government needed to respond to something so quickly that it was given with with consent of Congress to do it. Mm -hmm. There's clearly no consent of Congress here. So there's going to be a legislative challenge to it. The same law that gives the president the authority to declare a national emergency gives Congress the power to nullify it. But then if he does move forward, Democrats are promising court challenges. And what shape those take and how long they play Mm. out, we can't determine that they ultimately will end in the president succeeding in building any wall. But it will allow him to campaign on the talking point, finish the wall. Lulu, you have talked to a lot of Trump voters over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And my question with all of this, I mean, it seems as if Trump is really digging down hard on this issue to please his base. My question is, like, where else will his base go, even if he makes them mad over this, Lulu? Like, they have shown for years now that they'll kind of support him no matter what. I think that's right. I also think that this plays out in two different levels. Uh, Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you have the discussion here in Washington, winners and losers, who exactly got on top of who in this negotiation. But there is a reality. Um, The wall is not just one wall. It's actually walls that are many walls. And so uh, last year in funding that was approved, they allowed for a certain amount of wall to be built in the Rio Grande Valley. This year, with this new deal, there will be additional sort of barriers that have been approved. And so building is a slow process, but something at some point is going to go up. Yeah. What is important about what the president's doing with this national emergency, too, is he's setting up really a constitutional clash over who has the authority in this government to direct and marshal federal funds. And the Constitution's pretty clear that that job lands with the legislative branch, that Congress has the power to do this. And this is one more norm that I think the president is going to smash. And if he is successful in doing that, it could open up an entirely new frontier in executive power in this country. Lulu, you have three words? I do. Um, And I'm going to stick with the theme, but my three words are losing my land. So Mm. I was just down at the Rio Grande Valley uh, looking at um, this issue and really wanting to walk uh, along the place where some of this border wall, some of this border fencing is actually going to go. And, you know, there are people down there that are actually going to lose their land over this. Mm -hmm. Over 90% of the border is privately owned in the Texas, yeah, in the Texas area. Um, I spoke to two women down there Mm -hmm. and the land that is going to be affected which will essentially be taken from them Mm -hmm. um, to build this barrier has been in their family for generations Mm. one woman traced the land back to the 1700s so this is something that is you know really about their identity it's Mm -hmm. not just about the land itself you know for me it was really interesting 
Do they get paid out when the government says, hey, we're taking your land to build this wall? And is the rate good? So this is exactly the issue. This is not a new problem at the border. If you remember back under George W. Bush, yeah. uh, there was a something called the Secure Fencing Act, mm-hmm. um, and that basically tried to do what Trump is trying to do now, saying we need these barriers on the border. It's really important to do that. And a lot of that was held up by exactly the issues we're seeing now. Mm. Land rights issues, water rights issues, um, environmental concerns. I mean, the litigation for that went on and on. And so um, the proposed barrier in another part of the Rio Grande Valley, which was uh, approved last year, was going to go through a historic chapel, a butterfly sanctuary, a public park. And the government does have the right of something called eminent domain, which means Mm -hmm. that because um, they are the government, they can say, we're going to take your land. We have to fairly compensate you, but we're going to take it um, because we need it for national security. But the question is also, what is fair compensation? Mm -hmm. And in the past, what we've seen is what the government has offered. Most people do not believe is fair compensation. Yeah, it's tens of thousands of dollars. You know, most people say, like, I can't put a down payment on another house with $20,000 when I've had this land and my family's lived on it for generations and it's mortgage free. We should just note, too, that Democrats did secure protections for some of those exact areas that Lulu mentioned, specifically the Butterfly Center, which I think got a lot of attention. There's there's wildlife reserves along the border, too. I think sometimes people presume the border is this barren wasteland and it's Mm -hmm. actually one of the most beautiful ecologically diverse places in Mm -hmm. the country. So there will be La Lomita Chapel as well is getting protected. protected. Exactly. So there are these these particular landmarks are going to be protected. But um, in advance of this discussion, I was looking to see what the reaction has been down there in the Mm -hmm. Rio Grande Valley. And, you know, you have the priest that I was talking to um, down there, Father Roy Snipes, who said, yeah, it's great that La Lomita Chapel, um, which has been there since the 1800s, is going to be protected. But that just means that this particular sliver is going to be protected. But our neighbors to the right and our neighbors to the left are still going to have a barrier. And they don't have the clout of the Catholic Church and others to fight this fight. So all that to say... The fight's not over. Oh, and the fight is not over. <laughs> the fight is only beginning, and that's what is so interesting about this. Whatever's happening in Washington, there's also the fight on the border where individual landowners are mm-hmm. going to be taking um, all these things to court, and, and that takes time. It takes time, yeah. Yes, I have three words. Uh, they're not really border-related. Uh, they are local or national. And I am talking about an issue that I've been following this week, the Denver teacher strike. Oh, I don't know anything about this, Sam. So teachers in Denver went on strike this week over wages and bonuses. The strike's already over. They reached a deal. It's going to set clear salary increases for these teachers between 7 and 11 percent of their base salaries. But as you both know, over the last year, year and a half or so, we have seen widespread teacher strikes all across the country in all parts of the country. And my question, though, watching one strike happen after another, and it was just in L.A. a few weeks ago, too, uh, is are these issues local or are they national? I think a lot of the coverage of these teacher strikes in various cities and parts of the country have have been covered as a local story. But when you look at all of these, these things happening at the same time, it's really a national issue. And I think the national issue that underlies all of these teacher strikes is that millions of Americans who have jobs that we think should be enough for them, like teachers, those jobs aren't enough for them. You know what I'm saying? I do. And I also think the teachers unions, I think it's both, right? Each state has their own individual problems. But these, the rise of the teacher union strikes are a symptom of the same problem, which Mm. is that most states 
legally have to balance their budgets. Yeah. They don't have the option that the federal government does to run up debts and deficits. And when states have to balance budgets, they make tough choices. Mm-hmm. And most states or many states often do that on education and on teacher salaries and yeah. on right. public employee pensions. And that th- this has been chipped away at years and years and years and years. And you have created so many situations in states where teachers who I think I think don't think it's a controversial statement to say are critical to our society a little bit. Yes. <laughs> are it's getting harder and harder for them just to have a basic standard of living and oh, yeah. I think that is a crisis that that becomes a national crisis because of the uprising in the states I, I mean if you talk to teachers which I've done on my show yeah. um, you know their stories are just heartbreaking I mean they're working all the hours mm-hmm. that you can at school. Mm-hmm. Some of them are paying out of pocket to buy pencils and books and supplies for their students because the funding has been slashed so much. And then they're actually having to leave school and then go and do second and third jobs. Exactly. And so, like, I was thinking more and more about these teacher strikes as a national issue and kind of just like a a sign that a lot of people are just strapped for money, even in this booming economy. And there's further evidence to kind of suggest that that's correct. Um, So there was this new report out this week. It found that a record 7 million Americans are more than 90 days late on their auto loan payments. On their car loans, yep. Millions of Americans, even in this booming economy, can't make their car payment. And it's, I think, one of the worst um, records for that in recent years. And a lot of people are looking at this while everyone's touting the overall health of the economy and saying this might be some, the canary in the coal mine showing that people, uh, people aren't in, in the, the footing that they should be. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. Time for a break. Coming up, my panel and I hash it out over one of the biggest debates of our time. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Also, for the record, Sue picked this fight. I did not. (laughs) Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. When Colin Kaepernick stopped standing for the national anthem at NFL games, it sparked a nationwide debate about patriotism and police brutality. In the next through line, we explore three stories of protest that are rarely told, but essential to understanding the current debate. Through Line, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders. Happy weekend uh, to both of my guests, Susan Davis, congressional correspondent for NPR, and Lulu Garcia-Navarro, host of NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday. So, um, Sue, because we love you so much, we decided to kind of make a new segment. To steal my idea. We're going to steal your idea. (laughs) So basically, last time you were here, you were riffing in the studio, and you said something to the effect of, well, if I had my way, I would just make a podcast segment called Maybe It's Just Me. I want to do a podcast called Maybe It's Just Me, where you have people come on and defend their really unpopular opinions. Oh, can I give you mine? Sure. Mm-hmm. Fake maple syrup tastes better than real maple syrup. There you go. Ooh. I stand by it. 
You are so wrong. I did not hear this. That is a great that is a great example of a maybe it's right? just me. So yeah. that happened last time you were here. Ever since then, our editor, Jordana, was like, we're doing this segment. So, Sue, this is your segment. Um, what is an unpopular contrary opinion that you want to defend to the world at large? It's your time. I also want to just caveat to listeners that the whole there's a self-awareness to this that we recognize <laughs> that it's an unpopular opinion. So please spare our mentions on Twitter. We get it. You have your own unpopular opinions. Please don't Send write those to us. Please, please don't, don't write. write. No. Please don't Send start a Sue all the mean tweets over her yes, unpopular please. opinion. So, so what is your opinion? Maybe it's just me. But mm-hmm. I think This Is Us is a terrible television show. <sighs> Get out of my studio. (laughs) Leave now. If you don't know what it is, it is, you are one of the rare Americans who doesn't because it is the number one drama in this country. It is a show centered around the fictional Pearson family that... I think only exists to give America a reason to ugly cry every week. And America Do we need reasons? Do we need reasons (laughs) to ugly cry? I feel like I feel like I got lots of reasons to ugly cry. Exactly. (laughs) So Sue, you are correct. As far as all TV programming in the 2017-2018 season, it was number two, second only to NFL football on Sunday nights. I mean, that is a testament to how popular the show is. And I started I do not watch it anymore. I had to quit it. Okay. And I it's also in Give like, me an example. What yeah, when what is yeah. the moment then you think I can't take this anymore. This the scene is just like making me It's every episode. To support Sue, like they don't just like kill off characters. They like drag out the death of the character <laughs> over several episodes in different timelines. So like you'll know the grandpa's going to die. But they, like, make you wait half a season to find out how. So they make you cry six times over Grandpa dying. I also I think there's it, there's something about the psychology of the show where everybody likes a good cry. And everybody has oh, a yeah. movie or a song. Oh, yeah. And it kind of takes you on a journey and lands oh, yeah. you there. But people go into the show knowing it's going to do that that's to me. them. Oh, that's me. Is, Can I just do you like back that, a little Sam? bit? So, okay. I will tell you when I came to This Is Us. Also, caveat, we have interviewed on this show one of the stars of that show, Chrissy Metz, and she was delightful. I'm sure she is. Please do not, <laughs> please do not come at me, Chrissy Metz fans. But I began to watch This Is Us when I was covering the 2016 election. And you and, needed and, to cry a lot? I, needed, I would know that I would have a rough work week, a rough time just doing life. And because it is hard for most humans to really be... Uh, emotive in their real life, I would save all that emotional energy, bring it to the couch, and know that, that like half an so hour into This funny. Is Us, I could purge the this tears. This is your emotional conduit. It is. Yes. Oh, wow. And, and I'm so not that's like that. I, say, I don't okay want to cry it. when I, I only like comedy. I'm the really? same way. of living in war zones. Like, I will I just only laugh. read vampire novels and romance novels, and I will only watch yeah, comedy. I want television to involve teenagers and the apocalypse and magic. <laughs> now that's the podcast. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, I mean, but I guess just to push back a little bit more, like, if it is people's reason to cry... What's wrong with that? I mean, like, it doesn't have to be good if it works. Like, not all toilet paper has to be Charmin. (laughs) Right? Again, I would kind of argue with that, too. I feel like all (laughs) toilet paper should be soft. (laughs) I don't, I I want you to defend that opinion, my dear. (laughs) So there's this interesting article from this website called Fan Sided about This Is Us basically saying, 
it is not right to classify this show as prestige TV, to lump it into prestige TV. It's not prestige. And he basically was saying all the award show love this show gets, it gets Emmys, like all of the top 10 lists it lands on, which it does. He says it's not merited because the show manipulates people's emotions too much. To which I say, the only people who care about whether or not a thing is prestige TV yeah. at this point are TV critics. Really? Right? I mean, that's a thing. Like, we we now categorize, like, labels. It's, it reminds me of, like, what happens to novels. Like, yeah. is this a worthy literary novel? Yeah. Or is this just something that people read for It's fun? like Stephen King, right? Yeah. The argument of, like, is Stephen King a great writer? Is doesn't matter at this point. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can be popular like, and good. Does it matter at this point if we think This Is Us is good or not? No, I'm just not going to agree with you if you do. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, Sam. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. So, Lulu, what is your... It, okay, if you don't go to TV, Lulu, to ugly cry, but you go to it for, like, comedic relief, what is your go-to right now? So right now, it's One Day at a Time, which is so crazy that I only have started watching this because, obviously, it's about a Cuban-American family, and it's got Rita Moreno and Isabella Gomez, and it is so good and so fun on Netflix, mm. and it's got all the feels. Um, the only thing that I have a problem with, and it's a pretty big problem, is that they're playing a Cuban-American family, and the two main stars are Puerto Rican. <laughs> are Puerto Rican, Puerto Ricanos. Sounds like our next segment for Maybe It's Just Me is going to be this discussion. We're going to laugh some more after this break because when we come back, we'll play my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, developing solutions to support strong families and communities to help ensure a brighter future for America's children. More information is available at AECF.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa, and on Latino USA, Democrat Julian Castro. He's not the first Latino to run for president. But he tells me why he thinks this is his moment to run and win on Latino USA. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. Here with two guests this week, Lulu Garcia-Navarra, host of NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday, and Susan Davis, congressional correspondent for NPR. Y'all, it's time for my favorite game. Who said that? You both are, are, are old pros at this now. You know how it works. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that or at least get the story I'm referring to. The winner gets absolutely nothing. I'm trying to think who who am I going to give the odds to going into this game this week. I know Lulu's fighting a little bit of a cold. So I maybe not, but, uh, but you sound like you're still all the way in it. Sue I get is, nervous because on busy news weeks, I usually am so focused on one story. I'm not mm. as aware of all the other news of the week. And so. also I'm terrible with names. So I can be like, I can see the person's face. Yeah. I can see their face. <laughs> that counts in this game. And then, and then I can describe them and that'll offend lots of people. And then, <laughs> and then I'm going to be quiet because I won't have a job. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I will say last week's questions were really, really hard. We made them easier this week. So I think it'll be okay. Let's get to it. First quote. Ready? You have to be tough to make it in New York City. Who said that? I want to say de Blasio? Yes. Okay. Okay. That's good. it. Mayor, so we, New York City Mayor 
Bill de Blasio. Yes. So we've all heard by now that after, gosh, months and months of hype and this big announcement that Amazon's HQ2, their second headquarters, were going to be in New York, they announced this week, actually, no. Uh, Amazon says it's changed its mind, will not put HQ2 in New York, and Bill de Blasio was mad at them. He told Amazon, uh, you're not breaking up with us. We're breaking up with you, actually. I think this is such an interesting thing. Uh, you know, after this incredible rollout with so many different parts of the country begging to have Amazon yeah. there yeah. and offering them all this stuff, now, you know, once they actually got it, people were like, wait a second, wait a second, how much is this going to cost us? Well, because the whole deal was made behind closed doors. Yeah, exactly. How many, how much tax breaks are, these, are they going to get? And, you know, I think it's been really interesting. Especially with Amazon in particular and Bezos, when you're telling taxpayers, this is going to cost us $3 billion, and he's the richest man in the world. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. being <laughs> the number one probably didn't help sell that case to the public. Yeah. And so, like, this decision, uh, it seems to have come after this outcry from local politicians and union leaders and community organizers who, like, organized weeks of these protests against all the financial breaks that were promised to Amazon. But I think going forward, like, the bigger question is, like, should these kind of negotiations in which a city negotiates with a company like Amazon for a building, should those just be made public from the start? Yes, I think it's, yes. I mean, we're journalists. We're always going to argue for transparency, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing is, it's not just a failure of Amazon. I think it's a failure of these governments to not think about their constituencies and, and, you know, exactly how this is going to affect them. I mean, like, I will say, if I were the head of a city like Denver or Austin or whoever, maybe trying to lobby Amazon now for that HQ2, the one person you never want to get engaged to is a person who's broken off an engagement before. And certainly not within the past <laughs> 365 days. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, Sue, you're up one zip, but the game is still wide open. Next quote is, the combination of these three dance steps is a simple routine that is not registrable as a choreographic work. Just guess what this is about. There's been a certain point in the culture that has become part of a debate over who owns certain dance moves. Is it the backpack kid dance? It's in that same, the same game that he was fighting with about his dance. What is that game called even? The game? He was suing game owners for putting his floss dance into a game. There's another lawsuit in the same the vein floss, this week. The floss, that's what it's called. But um, what's the game Fortnite. called? Fortnite. Yes. Ah, Hulu, you got it. Um, that quote that I was reading to you all came from a registration specialist for the U.S. Copyright Office. He was arguing that Fortnite, this crazy popular video game, is okay to use the, quote, Carlton dance in its game. Oh. So the Carlton dance made popular by Alfonso Ribeiro, who played Carlton on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that iconic kind of oh, arm-swinging yeah. snap dance. That's in Fortnite. And his lawyers argued, quote, 27 years later, the dance remains distinctive, immediately recognizable, and inextricably linked to Ribeiro's identity, celebrity, and likeness. Um, but the other argument is, like, everyone does that dance. Get over yourself. But everybody calls it the Carlton dance. Yeah, it has his name on it. And yeah. also, Fortnite is now, like, the biggest video game yeah. on the planet. It has dwarfed every other video game to the point where there's, like, gaming companies that are going out of business because oh, yeah. all the stuff's going to Fortnite. So I feel like they might be able to afford it. 
Also, Just total dog leg, Sam, but you'll appreciate this. My uh-huh. best friend who lives in San Francisco texted me recently that she ran into Alfonso Ribeiro with his kids when she was out with her kids. And she oh. was like, oh, my God, I met Carlton today. And I was like, was how was he? Nice? He was so nice. Oh, good. She it's said always- he was really lovely. It's always good to hear that. Yeah. So this Carlton dance lawsuit against Fortnite is now makes three dance lawsuits against Fortnite. Um, the creators of a dance called the Millie Rock are suing Fortnite. As we said earlier, the backpack kid that made up the dance called the Floss, he's suing Fortnite. I haven't played the game yet. Have you guys played the I game? I thought you were going to say I haven't done the Carlton. <laughs> oh, I have done the Carlton. Trust. I have, I have watched my nieces and nephews play the game. Okay. Um, because, in fact, if you're in the house of any kid between the ages of sort of 8 and 15, they're going to be playing Fortnite. So, yeah, you're going to watch that. I like to floss around my nephews just to embarrass them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The game is tied. One apiece. This is the last question for all the marbles. You ready? Ready. Okay. okay. Quote, each za is handmade, which means the amount of sauce, cheese, and toppings might vary, but it still tastes great. Who is, said that? Is this the Chuck E. Cheese conspiracy? Yes, uh, I don't know who said it, but I'm aware of the conspiracy <laughs> so theory. That was an official like tweet from the Chuck E. Cheese account this week because they had to respond to accusations that Chuck E. Cheese's Chuck E. Cheese recycles pizza slices. There was this viral video that made the rounds this week, basically accusing the chain of using disparate slices from various leftover pizzas to build new pizzas from, like zombie pizzas. Uh, And people believed it. Is Chuck E. Cheese pizza good? I've never had it. Oh, Sue. I knew you had, Sam. I have, listen. You have been Um, to the Pizza Mountaintop? I have been to the, well, no, the Pizza Valley Low. (laughs) (laughs) My daughter is desperate to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I've never been. Yep, and we are holding off on that because I know once the gates of that particular um, door have opened, then it is going to be an incessant uh, thing. All right, just got to be clear here. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese completely refutes the claims in that viral video. The company said in a statement, quote, no conspiracies here. Our pizzas are made to order and we prepare our dough fresh in restaurant, which means that they're not always perfectly uniform in shape, but always delicious. Also fun fact, Chuck E. Cheese is short for Charles Entertainment Cheese. Uh I I always kind of thought the E was like just E, like Harry S. Truman. Well, the S means something in Truman too, right? I think it's just an S. Oh, we're going to fact check that right yeah, now. Yeah, we'll fact check that. <laughs> anyway, all that said, um, Sue, you won who said that. Honestly, Sam, most surprised there was not a Drake quote this week. I, that's what I was <laughs> most prepared for one of my answers to be Drake. <laughs> we could have used him because apparently at the Grammys this week, he basically was like, Grammys don't matter. Yeah, he yep. won a Grammy and was like, I don't even want this anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's too cool for school. Mm-hmm. All right, that concludes Who Said That. Congratulations. Now it's time to end the show. As we do every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape. Hey Sam, this is Sarah from Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm coming up on a year anniversary with my husband. Matthew's really great at making sure I take time for myself, and especially when I'm sick, which I was this week, as you can tell from my stuffy nose. He took care of me, made sure I had tissues, medicine, and especially Indian food at the end of the day when I finally got hungry. He is almost always the best thing about all of my weeks. Hi Sam, Bethany here from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, The best thing to happen to me this week is that today is my 30th birthday. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I finally finished an embroidery project that took me seven and a half years to finish. 
The best part of my week was that last week I celebrated 11 years of sobriety. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I got to go to the National Curling Championships in Kalamazoo, Michigan and watch some amazing men and women sweep ice like I have never seen before. Hi Sam, this is Chica from Converse. Today was my son's first day at work as a professional after graduating from college way back in 2017. I'm so relieved. Hi Sam, this is Jenna, Adam, and baby Rose from California. And we just got back from our first international trip as a family to Sydney, Australia. While Adam's grandma, who lived in Sydney, has passed away, we got to celebrate her best friend Lena's 100th birthday. And that's what's making us happy this week. Rose, can you say Australia? Australia. Have a great、oh、week.、God. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> And take care. Bye. Well, that was just the sweetest thing. Thanks to all of those you heard just now Sarah, Bethany, Emily, Carl, Megan, Chica. If that's Converse, Texas, that's where I went to high school for two years. Wow. Small world.、Uh, and many thanks to Jenna, Adam, and Rose on that international trip with baby Rose. Listeners, we listen to all of these that come in. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to brag a bit. The best part of my week was being able to come home to San Antonio. To be with my mother for her birthday, which is Valentine's Day.、Um, me and my brother and her got to hang out yesterday, and it was an evening full of roses and chocolates and Panda Express. Love you, Mom. Listeners, send us your best thing any week.、Uh, send me the sound of your voice, a voice memo. Send that file to samsanders at npr.org. Samsanders at npr.org. What are you going to do for the weekend, y'all? I'm working. <laughs> That is true. That is true. She's host over that thing weekend, weekend edition. edition. You are right. Touche. Sue?、Uh, I'm just going to hang out with my baby, Sam. Oh, how old is that kiddo now? She is seven months old and she is utter perfection. Oh, yes, she is. I met her before. She's just gotten cuter. I'm going to text you a pic. Yes. Play her some Billie Holiday this week. I play her music all the time and she would.、Oh. I'm going to make sure she、and、loves Billie Holiday. This is a great tune. Oh, yeah. We are going out on Billy Holiday's I'll Be Seeing You as we pay our respects to NASA's Mars Opportunity rover.、Uh, NASA announced this week that、uh, it's out of service after 14 years on the red planet. This song, I'll Be Seeing You, was the last song they sent out into space to try to make final contact with Opportunity. Opportunity, I, I, I wish you the best in your、uh, next life. In the morning sun. Right? They have to live on somewhere, huh? In our dreams. In our dreams.、Oh, thanks to my guests, the guests of my dreams,、uh, Lulu Garcia Navarro, host of NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday, and Susan Davis, congressional correspondent for NPR. Thank you both for your time. I know you're both busy. Have a great weekend, Sam. Have a great weekend, Sam. Thank y'all. The show this week was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry.、Uh, Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. We had editing help this week from Mathani Maturi. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Also, many thanks to the fine folks at my hometown station, Texas Public Radio, and their engineer, Supreme Ruben Garcia. Thanks for your help today. Uh, listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for my chat with Emily Kane. She is a singer songwriter that I've been obsessed with for years. She has a new album out. It's called Scenery. She tells me why she left New York City to make the whole album in the woods of upstate New York. This chat contains a ton of music. It's fun. Listen for that on Tuesday. All right, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Ah.、Uh...
I'll be looking at the moon, but I'll 